Well, good evening and or good afternoon or good morning, wherever you are and whatever time it happens to be. I've got David Haight here again, and we're going to be talking more about the straw man. G'day, David. How are you, mate? I'm really well. Thanks, Mike. Good to see you back on deck. It sure is good to be back. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about tonight, mate? I thought it would be great to put the whole straw man thing into context, Mike. I did a presentation to our assembly just a little while back, and I thought that was worth repeating. So I'd like to focus on that, if I may, today. Yes, of course. Okay, so let's tell, it's a little bit of a story. Let's go back to 1694. At that time, the king, King William, had run out of money. He'd spent too much money on crazy wars and all kinds of profligate things. And he called his advisors to him. He said, look, I need money. I need money from the people, but I need so much that if I go to them with a tax as heavy as I would have to impose, there'd be a rebellion. So he said to them, you need to come up with a way of me being able to tax the people without losing control. So they went away and they put their heads together and they came back and they said, here's the solution. So we're going to form a private company and we're going to call it the Bank of England. This private corporation will have shareholders and you, King William, you can have a piece of the action, which was he was well pleased about. So the Bank of England will issue from nothing two billion pounds in currency Holy and cow. you two billion pounds in 1694. Oh. I don't know. What would that be worth today, Mike? Well, in those days, it would have been worth the whole world, basically. Billions, you know, two billion pounds is what they issued. And they said, King, you will pass a law rendering this new issue legal tender. And you'll make it an obligation on the people that they must use this and accept this as payment for goods and services. Now, they said the fee to us for issuing this two billion pounds will be 8%. So that's 160 million pounds instant wealth for this group of people. So the king thought this was a good idea and he approved it. And the Bank of England was formed as the first central bank in the world's history, apart from some other little skirmishes. And now a word from our sponsor who helps keep these podcasts going. Is the Australia Act lawful? Can state governments shut borders? Can the government lock us down in our homes? These and many other questions are all answered in Dick Yardley's book, Australian Political and Religious Leaders, Treason, Treachery and Sabotage. If you want to know why our country is in such a mess, this book explains it all. A working knowledge of our political system is essential if we are going to get our country back on track. Knowledge is power. Only available from advance-australia.com.au. Get your copy today. Now, what they realised was there was this thing called a Seteke Trust, which had been formed all the way back. There's hints of it being formed back in 1540. But the big one was 1666, wasn't it, Mike? That's right, the Great Fire of London. The Great Fire of London, they used that mechanism to isolate the city of London as a separate country. And that's still that way today, isn't it, Mike? It is. Yeah, there's it's actually, the... There's actually three centres of power in the world today, the Vatican for the spiritual, 
the City of London for their financial and Washington, D.C. for the war. And that City of London is not part of the United Kingdom, right? It's a separate country in its own right. Yes, exactly. Like the Vatican. In Washington, D.C. And so they formed this and they knew that they had these Setakei trusts and they wanted to use them in a particular way because in order for the king to be able to borrow this money and put up some security, he had to have something that he could put on the table. And what he did was he used the Setakei Trust, the Straw Man Trust, to define every living English man, woman and child as a trust entity with all of the issues around that trust. We won't go into it now, but essentially that was pledging the labour of those people for their lives, for their living lives. So he pledged the living labour of every English citizen as a pledge against the two billion pounds that were borrowed. It's astounding that they came up with this so long ago. I mean, this is a very modern concept, I thought. But no, it's all that way back. And then they said, what we'll also do is we'll issue the same two billion pounds all over again to the commercial banks. And they'll issue that again and charge another 8%. So that's 320 million pounds they generated. Vast wealth, vast wealth. Now, when they created the two billion pounds with 8% interest, they didn't deliver the two billion pounds less than 8%. They gave the king the whole of the two billion pounds. And the 8% is generated by the labor of his people, a virtual enslavement of the people under that debt scheme. Now, what happened then was that the banks treated the loans that they got from this other two billion pounds, not as a loan on their books, but as what they called reserves. And to the present day, banks call government debt reserves. And they use this as a leveraging point for their own loans, which they multiply over and over and over. So when you went to a bank in those days, as of today, as it is today, and you take out a mortgage for a property, that mortgage is not taken from the reserves, it's created as new money again. And this is called the money multiplier. So when I started in stockbroking back in 1986, the first thing we learned was that any printing of new fiat currency would lead to a blowout in the money supply. And <clears throat> this we knew would affect the stock market radically and seriously, as well as affecting the economy. And that's what it did back in 1694. There was so much money awash in the community, the two billion pounds was multiplied through the banking system by a factor of 10 times. And that still occurs today. So if the bank goes out and it goes to the IMF or one of the Federal Reserve and borrows 200 billion pounds, that gets multiplied by a factor of around 10 to 14 times in the Australian economy. So the 500 billion, which has just been taken out for COVID and ploughed into our economy has multiplied itself 10 times. Cool. Now, what that does is that it decreases the value of the money currently in existence. So it deflates the value of the, the purchasing power of the dollar. And that is a virtual tax. 
what people need to understand that, that inflation is in actual fact a hidden tax yes i was just going to say that yeah so we know that right so i believe that our cost of living has increased by at least 30 percent in the last two or three years so that's a tax on all of the cash savings of all australians and is not really understood properly by the people as being a hidden tax let me, let me just put this into context david back in the 1970s no back in the 1960s i should say you could buy a pair of amco jeans i think they were called which were top of the line very good jeans for seven dollars today how much do you buy a pair of jeans for 200 300 something crazy same jeans and now a word from our sponsor who helps keep these podcasts going Peak Dawn is proud to announce the launch of a series of online learning courses that have been developed in collaboration with common law expert Mike Holt. So if you want to learn about how to protect your rights, what common law is, or indeed the depth of common law courts and how you can use them in your local community to seek justice, sign up at the link below. In fact, I'm actually quoting from a book written by G. Edward Griffin called The Creature from Jekyll Island which to him was the Federal Reserve Bank. And it's a book that's very well worth reading because everything I'm quoting is from that book. And in the book, he says that in Roman times, to buy a suit of clothes, soldier, cost a half an ounce of gold. To buy the same suit today in gold terms would be a half an ounce of gold. Hmm. But in dollars, we'd pay, you know, $1,000 to, to $1,500. So the actual purchasing power of gold has not changed. What's decreased is the purchasing power of the dollar. Yeah, which is fiat money, which doesn't really exist. Yeah, and it creates a boom bust. So one of the things that Griffin quoted in his books that happened in 1694 was a group of individuals decided that if they raised enough money, they could drain the Red Sea. And then they would find where the Israelites crossed in the Exodus and where the Pharaoh and all the soldiers had been drowned in their chariots with all their gold and jewels, and they would find this priceless hoard of... They didn't drain the Red Sea, and the money was lost. In fact, two years after this, there was a massive bust of the economy, and we've been seeing boom-bust, boom-bust cycles all the way to the present day. Yep. The, the GFC in 2007 was effectively a bust mm. generated by the same mechanisms that were started back in 1694 and 10 years before that in 97 98 when we had the the financial collapse of the asian market i was actually poised in a very good position because i had just finished a act with uh, the second largest food company in thailand where i was a chief technical officer for magic software thailand um, but when i left the company was just at the beginning of this financial collapse so all of a sudden i'm sitting there with all this money that i had saved over the last three years and all these companies were going bust around me and i think at the end there was only about five or six of these it companies still standing i was one of them and we just cleaned up copped all the contracts that had collapsed and made a lot of money <laughs> so you know boom bust is good for some bad for others but it's all no, it's bad for me I was a stockbroker in those days. I'd been a, in stockbroking for about a year and a half. 
Yeah. And I had a portfolio of $200,000, it was. And I watched that vaporizer that day, the day of the crash in 87. My little portfolio of garbage companies vaporized because it gapped through my stop loss sale points. Mm. So when a market gaps, so if you bought a shares for $2 and you've got a stop loss sale of, say, eighty, but it goes from $2 and the next bit after that is 50 cents, your stop loss sale does not occur and you just lose. That's called gapping of the market. And that's what happened. So as a stockbroker, we soon learned that a running market was capable of dropping 50% on any given day based on this crazy mechanism. The G.O.B. Griffin defines it as seven steps. He says fiat money is created by a central bank, step number one. Number two, that leads to a blowout of government debt and a multiplication of the money supply. Mm. Number three, this leads to inflation, as I've just explained. Number four, this destroys the economy. Inflation, inflation, exactly that, destroy the economy. Number five, it impoverishes the people. So if you look at the age pension, for example, if inflation has the value of the power of the dollar has fallen by 30%, the pension has not increased by 30%. You and I are both pensioners, Mike, and we know that directly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember reading a Royal Commission study of the age pension, and pensioners were unable to fix their teeth, so were living in incredible pain. They couldn't heat their homes in the winter or cool them in the summer, and they were eating cat food because the pension was so low. Mm-hmm. What is it like for those people today? Same or worse. Number six, it's an excuse for increasing government power. The government steps in and says, because of all the suffering, we need to take more control, more and more control. And step number seven is the outcome is always totalitarianism. Tyranny. So he reckons that the real cause of financial problems in the world is central banks, fiat currency, dating all the way back to 1694. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's what I know too from my studies. So... All right, so what can we do about this? Well, what we need to do is return the financial system to a gold-backed currency and get away from this fiat, this this money based on nothing. Hmm. All of the money in circulation, including the dollar notes in your pocket, are debt instruments. So in in other words, if all debts were paid, money would disappear. There wouldn't be any. All of the dollar notes would return to the banks and all currency would reduced to zero because all currency currently is debt instruments first the government creates a debt by borrowing through the central bank and then everything from that point on is a multiplication of that debt phenomenon i think it's important to point out here though david that the all this debt that we run up is actually not the debt of the people The political parties, when Whitlam took over the government and sort of private corporation as the Commonwealth of Australia in all caps and the Australian government in all caps, he actually created this monster that we have today visibly governing us. But they are actually the people who have taken out the debt. They're in charge of that debt. They are responsible for it. And if we, the people, unite and repudiate this government system, who's going to have to pay the debt? Not us. Well, that's a really great point, Mike, because at the end of the day, 
what we've done is created a Frankenstein mm. by allowing these central banks to flourish. We have, on the promise of prosperity emerging from all this money, created a Frankenstein which is enslaving us, and that monster has turned against us. <clears throat> so the answering your question, the real answer is for the people to become educated, to understand the mechanism, just as we're discussing today, mm. and then to spread that word into the economy. And then we need to reestablish the people's banks as part of our common law movement and back all bank issues with real assets. Right. A gentleman told me today there's anything up to $400 trillion worth of gold in the ground in Australia. Yep. I don't know if that's a real number, but it's a lot. It is. No, that's actually, just gold alone. Yeah, we did a survey about three or four years ago of the value of all our in-ground assets, and that is actually a very conservative number. Don't forget, we've got not only gold, we've got copper, we've got all sorts of other metals in the ground. Whole mountain ranges of iron. Yes, we've got diamonds, we've got coal. And all of this, we are a very rich country. The problem is the political parties have got their foot on our necks and they control the money flow at the moment. But, you know, what these tyrants don't understand is that history is like a pendulum. It swings one way and they're on the top right now, but eventually it'll swing the other way. And we, uh, the trick now is because we're now forming these common law assemblies, we need to stop the pendulum in the middle where the people control the government. That's well said. Yeah, that's very well said. I think at the moment there was a, a Dr. Steve Turley, an economist I was listening to the other day. He said there's great clash in the world right now between the banks that create this fiat currency and those countries in the world that own real assets like food and energy. So Russia, China, Brazil, South Africa, what's called the BRICS, are clubbing together and they said, what we create the production of food and energy, we'll deal with that. You see how you go with your fiat currency. Mm. Your people can't heat their homes. And that's the big, that's the big clash which is happening in the world right now. Yeah. Who will win? Well, well, you know, you can't eat fiat currency. You can't heat your home with dollar notes. Well, you can if you burn enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd need a lot of them. Yeah. So Europe is about to enter a very terrible winter because they are very, very short on energy and which Russia controls. And so that's a massive clash. So a lot of people believe, and I hopefully hope this is true, that the whole fiat banking system is drawing to a very timely end. And we want to be part of that to replace that system with something which works and that are people's banks that can generate available currency backed by real assets, which we've got in the ground. It's the Commonwealth, right? That's right. That's why they the wealth, call it the Commonwealth of Australia. Commonwealth of Australia. We own this country, and we've got $400 trillion worth of gold in the ground. And just not far from where you and I are sitting, Mike, there are families living in their cars, children live, sleeping in the backs of cars, mm. in tents, impoverished and these are people with jobs who can't earn enough to rent a property because there's a shortage of housing here shortage of housing and the rents have climbed so high mm. that it's not affordable so if you're doing a, a lower paid job like waitressing or something then you can't earn enough to rent a property and live 
My, so my daughter's actually, she's 22 years old. She's moving home because she can't make it on her own. There you go. And well, so this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is iniquity of a profound degree. Yeah. And it's part of what you and I are campaigning for, Mike, with all of our work and the work we're doing through common law assemblies, because we really do have the solution. Mm. It's a bottom-up solution. It's a ground-up solution. It's the empowerment of the people to realize the truth about all of these things, just as we're discussing here tonight, and then club together and lawfully, peacefully, bring back effective control to the people and recreate a society which is the best suited to human equality and flourishing. I think it's also, with common law, it's all about love, you know, because when you unite people and you work together, you create this loving relationship where we're helping each other. And, you know, common law is all about not only the, the law, but also the spirit of man. Look, we're all in this together. Let's work together and, work and help each other. Um, one other question, David, before we finish. How do you see cryptocurrency in this mix of ideas? I, I, nobody knows for sure, right? But I believe there is a role for a blockchain-protected cryptocurrency, which is gold-backed. Whether that's going to be XRP and XLM, we are looking at all of these things quite carefully, aren't we, Mike, as, a, as an assembly within our assemblies around the country? And part of our role, I believe, is to utilize what expertise we can to evaluate these sorts of things and then report back to our assemblies what our findings are. But I do believe that in the modern world, a blockchain-protected gold-backed crypto will be part of the solution mm. that we'll come up with when we get our people's banks running. And there'll be not just one people's bank. There'll be hundreds of them. Mm. I believe there should be a people's bank for each of our communities, you know. Well, I think perhaps not each community, perhaps, but each region, because remember the, the plan is to have 5,000 members in each assembly, unite 50 assemblies to create a regional government that would be just big enough to have the power to, you know, provide all the services the region yeah. community needs. Yeah. Uh, small enough that we can manage it and make sure that they are there to serve the people. One of the big problems with the political parties is they're so big and so well funded from both sides of the political divide that they don't serve the people anymore. And that's the big problem we face. Most definitely as a political party is a private corporation. We know that. Yeah. It's, uh, that's got a CEO that we call a prime minister or the head of that party. And all of the ministers elected by the people serve the needs of their CEO not the needs of their people. Mm. All of the election promises are really just to get themselves elected. They're forgotten completely as soon as they're in power, so to speak, and they then answer to their CEO. That's why all of the local MPs that you can talk to, they're all just towing the party line. They're just employees doing what their boss tells them to do. That's right, and that's why you very, very rarely see any politician crossing the floor on a vote. And even when they do, they're vilified by their party as a traitor. So we do They're have... not good employees, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that's put in context the origin of the Straw Man Trust. I think it's quite useful to know where it came from and why. The governments of the world borrow money and pledge the labor of their people entrapped through the Straw Man Trust as the security against the debt. 
And as such, we become debt slaves globally. Time to free ourselves. Time to free ourselves. And the pendulum of history is swinging already. All right, mate, thank you very much for that. I think we'll cap it off now, but uh, very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night. If you're enjoying these podcasts on the bloodyaussiebattler.com, why not become a member to support my work? It's easy. Just click on Join Us and choose the membership level that suits your pocket.
Right beside me.